Well, I'm Phil Wayman, and I am the pastor here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. And our goal here is to connect with you as you connect to Jesus. And lately, we've been following along with Matt Chandler and diving into this letter written by Paul 2,000 years ago to this brand, church, brand new church in the city of Philippi. And back then, you know, we know Christianity is this old thing that has passed through the ages, but back then it was new. It was a brand new thing. And uh, they figured if this man named Jesus could predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, that he was someone that they should follow, Right? They didn't have all the answers, though, so Paul wrote this letter to the church to fill in some blanks for them. And last week, we started asking the question, how do we pursue Christ? What does that look like? How do we stir up a passion and a yearning for Christ? Because if you have a relationship with the God of the universe, it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be humdrum and just going through the motions. It's got to be the most amazing thing in the world, to be able to have something like that. So we talked about last week how we need to stop lying to ourselves about ourselves. And we need to be honest at where we are spiritually and think about it and, and meditate on who we are and where we need to get. We talked about how we cannot live in our past victories or failures, that those things will distract us. We talked about how we need to compare our areas of strength with Christ and realize even in those areas, we need to be powered by Jesus Christ. Sometimes our talents can help us rely on ourselves, and instead we need to, even in those things that we're strong in, rely on Christ. We talked about how we also need to surround ourselves with other people that are walking in the same direction, people that are even more spiritual than us because the Bible tells us iron sharpens iron. And we need to have that community around us that's pushing us towards Christ. Even if that means reading after uh, Christians strong in areas that were weak or listening to sermon podcasts or following them on Twitter, we need to put ourselves around those people that are strong in the faith. And today, in this time, we have more resources than the church has ever had in the entire history of the church you can find things, you can find answers if only you would search for them and you'd go out and do the, the legwork. And then we asked ourselves how and when. Many of us wrote down some weaknesses last week during our time of reflection, meditation, invitation. And last week we asked ourselves how and when are we going to make progress? And hopefully over this last week, you've allowed Christ to work in those areas of your life and those areas of weakness, and you began to understand, okay, I have this problem. When am I going to start working on it? And what does that look like? How am I going to do this? Because too often, years go by, and we know we struggle, or sometimes we're even uh, ignorant to the fact that we struggle, and we rarely make progress. So we're going to continue in uh, this week on some more hows of pursuing Christ. And we'll start in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 16. If you want to turn in your Bible there, we're going to be there the whole time. Or you can uh, power on your uh, device and scroll through. I heard somebody tell a joke this last week that, uh, you know, they used to be, all the Bibles used to be on scrolls, and now we scroll still again. So uh, we're going old school. It's retro. But uh, 
We're going to read at verse 16. I love this verse. It's awesome. It says, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. This verse is telling us that we need to check ourselves to make sure that we're living out the knowledge that we already have. When we're looking where to start, do what you already know. So many times we think, well, I just don't know a lot about the Bible. I just, I'm not a scholar. I don't understand all of the different patriarchs and all of the different ages of the church. But the problem is, is so often we forget We already know more than we're doing, right? And this verse tells us to hold true to what we've already attained. If you've been a Christian very long, you've probably noticed that people can get really excited about new revelation, right? They get excited to hear something they've never heard before because Jesus loves us doesn't really do it for us anymore, right? Love your neighbor. Man, I I heard that all before. That doesn't get us excited, And the problem with New Revelation is the Bible's over 2,000 years old, and New Revelation has a high probability to be false doctrine or verses taken out of context. But people can get so excited about those things, these fads in Christianity. We know that a prosperity gospel has been one that has creeped into the church, and people can get very excited about that. This idea that God wants to give you everything your heart desires, and God ultimately just wants you to be happy. And that you can uh, go to God and uh, you can name and claim some things in prayer and God will just do those things. But the problem with that is we can become like the prodigal son in that we ask God for the riches that he's promised us in the next life. We ask for those things right now. I want them now. And we can get caught up believing that material things are God's way of showing us his blessing. And we name things we want, and we can claim them that God will do them. And the problem with that is that we miss the example of every disciple, every apostle, and many of the early New Testament Christians, many who were persecuted, torn asunder from their family, and even torn asunder by lions at times. How arrogant for us to think that we are owed more than what they received as early New Testament fathers. And the Christian is not promised the ability to bend God's will with prayer. Prayer bends our will to God's will. A hype, the hyper-grace movement is another popular fad in Christianity where preachers never preach against sin, and the Old Testament is discounted. That was for somebody else. We're not, we can't learn anything from that. And people are allowed in open sin uh, to, to minister and to be part of ministries, and preachers preach only posit, uh, positive motivational messages. And key members of the church live in immorality with no repercussions. All under this banner of grace. We've got to have grace. God is love. And we overemphasize one part of, yes, God's personality, but we don't balance it with the other parts of God's personality. That he is just, and that he is righteous, and that he is holy. The problem with that philosophy is you have to ignore large portions of scriptures to follow it. Yes, we believe in grace, absolutely, and I'm, I'm excited about it. It's amazing grace. But confession and repentance are necessary parts of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you're here today and you say, I'm, I'm not that bad, yeah, I'm not as bad as that person, I'm not, I don't know if I'd say I'm a sinner. The Bible says you're lying to yourself. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and the truth is not in us. But, but if we confess, if we own our sin, if we admit our sin, if we face our sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, grace is a part of the Bible, and it's there, but we have to own our sin. We have to face it. We have to uh, agree with God about our sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us an example of a church where sin ran rampant. It ran wild. And Paul writes this letter to this church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. You don't have to turn there. It'll be there up on the screen. You're not going to believe it, so you're going to want to look at this. Okay, you ready? It says this. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. He's talking to the church. And it's the kind of sexual immorality that is not tolerated even among pagans. This isn't just, you know, a, a, a low standard of sexual immorality. It's a high standard, and it's even worse than what people that aren't in the church are doing. And he goes on and tells us what it is. He says, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. They thought that they were, had, they were a little bit more progressive. They had gotten to a point where we're, we're uh, more enlightened maybe than other churches are because we have so much grace that someone like this can, can come to our church and, 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 and just feel like they fit in. And what he's saying here is that's, that's arrogance. You should mourn for that person. Don't just allow them to be in that. That sin hurts them. He says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Though absent in the body, I'm present in the spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who had done such things. He's like, I don't even need to be there to know that this is wrong. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So this is his, so that his spirit may be saved. Paul's not saying just like write him out off and shun him forever. He's saying sometimes you have to face the consequences of your sin to realize what you've done. Why? Not just to leave them there, but so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord so he can recognize his problem and come back to Christ. He said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Skip down to verse 9. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world. He's saying, look, let me make sure you understand this. I'm not talking about people that are outside the church. I'm talking about those inside the church. Sinners are going to sin. It's in the name, right? So don't, don't sit there and say, oh, the world's so bad. No, we're supposed to police ourselves in here, in this room, he says they can be greedy and swindlers, idolaters. Don't go and judge them because they don't have Christ. They can't do anything different than what they're doing. Since then, you would need to go out, uh, need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what? Have I to do with judging outsiders 
He says, that's not my place. That's God's place to judge those that are uh, lost. But is it not those inside the church whom you're supposed to judge? God judges those outside. So purge the evil persons from among you. This is not a passage of scripture you hear very often in church, right? You're like, oh man, I don't, God, I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) You're a little extreme there. God, this is a little bit fanatic, you know. I don't, I don't want to be mean to people. I didn't know that was going to be part of this. That's not what he's saying. We have a church here where sin was allowed to run rampant, open, unrepentant. Everybody knew about it. Everybody knew that person is going out with a stepmother, whatever that means, and he's sleeping with her, and it's not right. It's not okay. And nothing was done about it. And Paul says that they need to take care of that sin because sin spreads quickly and a little leaven is enough for a whole loaf of bread and a little open sin in the church is enough for the whole church to be responsible. Sexual sin defiles a church. And again, he says, we don't judge those that are outside the church. And often that's all you hear church people talk about is they don't talk about the sin in this room. We just want to say, well, you know, the government's passing same-sex marriage and laws about weed and all that kind of stuff. Hey, look, we've got problems in here that we're not dealing with. God judges those that are outside the church. It's our responsibility to deal with problems within our church. He gives us the responsibility, and this is why church membership is important. This is what it means. It means you're part of our family, and families don't let people hurt themselves and hurt the family without confronting them about it in love with the hope of reconciliation and getting right, and and you don't see this in the church very often. The problem is, is the church is so far, and the Bible is so far from what is around us in culture today that it's hard for us to do. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about those type of things. We don't want to talk about that, oh, yeah, I guess sleeping together outside of marriage. Well, it's not culturally or socially immoral, but biblically it is. And that must mean that the God of the universe said this is wrong, so we should trust him over what everybody else thinks is okay. Divorce and remarriage are not culturally immoral, but biblically there's only a few reasons permitted for remarriage in the Bible. And the church doesn't want to talk about these things. But the Bible is clear that for a healthy church, you have to practice church discipline. And this chapter tells us the way to stay away from Christians that are living in open sin. You confront them first. You say, hey, this is wrong, and, and, and I love you, and I don't want to see you go down this path. But if they continue to choose, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to repent. I'm okay with who I am. The Bible even goes as far to say, don't eat with them. And that seems harsh to us. And we don't think about these things, uh, you know, frivolously or lightly. Ultimately, we want to see people get right with God. Other passages like 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 point out the purpose of church discipline is to see people repent and get right. Verse uh, 14 says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as the enemy, but warn him as a brother. Have you ever met, and I know you have, hopefully it's not mine, 
Have you ever met a kid that's kind of a brat? Don't you dare say no or Chloe. We'll fight about it. But normally what happens is there's consequences. Some, a child does something's wrong, and there's no consequences, so they continue to do things that are wrong, and they continue to push the boundaries. And we know that that doesn't make a, a, a well-developed child. It's not good for them. They're going to live a life that's miserable. And as a parent, I've learned over time that if I would stand firm, my child will be more happy. If I'll put boundaries up, they'll know where those boundaries are. And those guardrails that keep them from sin, that keep them from careening into hurting someone else or hurting themselves, it's not just what's right, it's what will make them have a more enjoyable and joyful life. And that's what God wants for us. And this is just one example of how we as true followers and pursuers of Christ need to make sure that we're holding fast to the Bible and not ignoring the parts that are hard or uncomfortable. And here's the truth. Do you have enough faith to trust God even when you disagree with him? Because honestly, I don't want to talk about this stuff, right? I don't want to do this. I'm not that guy. I'd love just to ignore all the problems. That sounds great. I'll just watch This Is Us, and I'll drink Diet Coke, and I'll be happy and eat popcorn, you know. Like, that's what I want to do, but ultimately, the God that created us says, if you do that, that's going to lead to more pain, and I don't want you to be in pain. So you got to deal with this stuff. you got to confront this stuff. I don't want to do these things, but the Bible tells us to, so we have to, as a church, do what we already know. Because the only way to grow in truth is to actively apply truth in our lives. Some of us, there's things in the Bible that we don't understand, and many times it's because we're not doing the things in the Bible that we do understand. And we're like, well, I can't get this yet, but you haven't even gotten like loving people yet, or like getting outside of your box a little bit, witnessing to people, giving. These things hold us back from the things that we don't understand. So only, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we've already attained. Let's walk in the truth that we know. Don't get caught up in philosophical fads and there's these books that come out so frequently and everybody's excited. Did you hear about this? Did you hear? And he says, don't get caught up in those things. Do what you already know. Because the obvious thing to us is, should be that the Bible is the most exciting thing that's ever come out. I don't care if there's promotional tours and book signings. The Bible is where it's at. Jesus loves me? What? What? I don't love me. Why would Jesus love me? Why? That doesn't make any sense. Love my enemy? Man, that's controversial. I'm supposed to love the people I don't like, the people that are trying to tear me down, the people that are at work are trying to get that promotion so they're lying about me. I'm supposed to love that person? See, this, is, this isn't just fads. This is deep truth. How can I apply these things? How can I live these things out? I'm forgiven. Why would God forgive me? Heaven is my home. I get to go to, to be with God. We have the victory. I can be safe and secure in knowing that Christ Jesus did it all, and I don't have to do any of it. I just have to trust him. Sure, these things aren't new, but they're amazing. 
And we have to pass these things along. Some of us that have been in the church for a long time, we have forgotten those fundamental things. We're not excited about those fundamental things. So the things that we talk about are the obscure passages of the Bible that really interest us now because the old, the, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his own, yada, yada, yada. I got that down. But the problem with that is you never disciple anybody if you don't give them the fundamentals. So as a pastor, as life group leaders, as leaders in the church, we have to make sure that we're laying down the fundamentals. Noah's starting to play basketball here soon. And uh, I didn't start, which I wouldn't be a good teacher to begin with, but in this regard, I didn't start with trying to get him to dunk, right? That would be a terrible way to start treating somebody uh, and teaching somebody how to play basketball. Uh, I'm going to teach you how to uh, ice skate. Let me start with the triple locks. Well, I don't even know how to tie my ice skates. What do you mean? No, if I'm going to teach him how to play basketball, you start with the fundamentals, the, the triangle stance and the three things. Okay, I have the ball. I've got three things I can do. I can pass the ball, I can dribble the ball, or I can shoot the ball. That's where you start. You break it down. You get low. If we want to have a church that's continuing to disciple people, we have to be willing to talk about the things that got us where we are. We can't just talk about the, the, the things that we uh, don't know yet. We've got to talk about the things that we've already attained. So when we're looking about how we're going to study, how we're going to teach, and how we're going to talk to people, we've got to start with the things like Jesus loves me. Love my enemy. Verse 17 goes on, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. Paul's saying this. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Here again, we see this idea of getting close with each other and seeking counsel from Christians that are stronger in the faith than we are. Following spiritual people that are following Christ. Because iron sharpens iron. So I'm going to go and find, I'm not going to try and be them, but I'm going to go and bounce things off of them and say, hey, I've got a question about this. I don't understand this. Why do we do this? I'm going to follow them as they follow Christ. And Paul says, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to find less mature Christians and I'm going to tell them what I've already learned. I'm going to seek that out. And if we want to be a multi-generational church, we have to have the older generation, if you define for yourself whether you fit into that or not, the older generation has got to come alongside less mature Christians and saying, let me, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. This is the things that I learned. These are the things that God's shown me. Yeah, I went through that problem. I went through it. Let me tell you what I learned. And I'm not the authority on everything, but this is how, what God spoke to me in that problem. And if we don't do that as the church, we're not going to fulfill what God wants us to do. And as that older generation, we've got to go and find these people that don't understand. And you might say, well, they come for a little while and then they leave and I, we never see them again. Maybe it's because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Next, he gives us an example of the type of people not to follow or to be close with. Verse 18, it says, for many whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, there's people among you. There's some people, even though, yeah, I know this is the church and we're all friends and that's all great. But there's some people that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be. It says their end is destruction. Their God is their 
belly. They're not serving God, they're serving themselves. And their glory, they glory in their shame, which minds set on earthly things. See, we see here that, that there's some people that do whatever they want. All they care about is worldly things, material things themselves, popular culture type things. They have no shame. They glory in their sin. Their God is their belly or their flesh, and they do whatever feels good. Drink this, smoke this, do that, sleep with them. Uh, I'm going to push my agenda even though it's not what's best for uh, everyone. And the Bible calls these type of people whose God is their belly enemies of the cross. And their end is, dest- is destruction. So I don't want to be this person, right? I want to make sure that my belly isn't my God and my gut, you know, that tells me, my intuition that tells me what I should do or not. I'm not going to serve that. I need to serve God. We need to make sure that we're not following those or being close to those type of people. Uh, and we need to make sure we pursue Christ instead. Why? Because those type of people will hold you back. We need to make sure we're not that type of people that hold other people back. So why should we get away from them? Because we're different. So we can influence them by our example of being different. Don't be obsessed with this world. Don't be that person that's obsessed with extravagance or politics, things of this earthly life, but the next life. Verse 20 says... Tells us why. Why shouldn't we be so caught up with the things of this world? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We here are immigrants. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. This world is not our home. Our citizenship lies somewhere else in another place that we haven't seen yet. It's built by God. And we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, amen, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is important. Our future is not here. Don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. This isn't your home. Your home is in another land. Your citizenship is in another land. It's not on this earth. This world is not our home. No, we look and we pursue and we press towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he saved us and he changed our wicked, sinful body to be like his. So this is the more. This is more of how we yearn and pursue the Lord daily. We develop this passion for Christ. We forget what lies behind, those things that hold us back. We attack our weaknesses. We strain and we strive to obey Christ And the things that we already know, we want to be more like Christ, answering the when and how. When am I going to change? When am I going to do that? Checking ourselves that I'm living in the truth that I already know. Checking our lives that we're living in those little simple things. If I went around and asked you what a Christian was supposed to do, you would probably tell me, read his Bible and pray and go to church. Be faithful to church. Then if I went around and asked you, how faithful are you to do those things? We'd all probably be a little embarrassed, right? We're not doing the things we already know, the simple things. Not just to check off a box, but because we believe that God says those things are good for us, so I'm going to do those things so I can get close to him, so I can understand him, so I can learn more about him. Then Paul told us to surround ourselves with people that knows what it means to follow Jesus, following them as they follow Christ. 
And then we set our sights on the future. The fact that one day we'll get to be with Jesus Christ. And we focus ourselves on the eternal instead of the temporary. We make plans about everything that we're serious about, right? You have a retirement plan, a financial plan. We make vacation plans. Why don't we have spiritual plans to attack our weaknesses? What if you individually decided some goals for your life, some some areas you want to work on, some things you want to get better at, and then you work towards them systematically? What if you decided you wanted to have a marriage that God meant for you and your spouse to have? How are you going to do that? When is that going to start? Are you going to find resources? Are you going to get around people that will help you? So often we we hear people say at times, well, I'm just not getting what I need from the church. Well, maybe you're not doing what you need to do. What if you decided if you wanted to be a a witness for Christ to, to, to work towards that, to find out the resources that you need? What if you decided you didn't want to be the person that just lives in this life, but instead you wanted to put your eyes on the eternal? How and when? How and when? What are you doing to make some progress? Because we do not accidentally accomplish those things. You never stumble into godliness. How and when? Are you interested in becoming a real follower of Jesus, not an attender of church, not just a church member, someone that follows Jesus and does the things he says to do. I'm, I'm a person that's not just says I'm a Christian, but I follow the teachings of Jesus. Is that who we want to be? For five weeks, we talked about pursuing Christ. Has it begun in you? Are you learning how to press and strive and continue that pursuit? If not, when is that going to happen? Where do you start? Do what you already know. Do what you already know. Get up on a Sunday when it's rainy and it's nasty outside and come to church even though you don't want to. Why? Because the rest of us do that too. There's days I don't want to come to church. Now, most of the time when I get here, it's like, oh, God, praise the Lord. I'm glad, I, I'm, glad I'm here. Even before the service. I see your faces, I see uh, what God's doing through us, and I remember. But when we're alone, sometimes it's easy to say, "Mm, I'm just going to roll over instead. When when it gets easy to say, well, I'm going to go ask my friends before I go and pray about this problem that I have. Before I go and seek what God says in his word about this thing, I'd rather just go ask my aunt uh, Bertha (laughs) instead of going and checking Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Aunt Bertha. Philippians 3.16, let us hold true to what we have already attained. Do what you already know. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Once again, this is a time between you and God. We close our eyes, we bow our heads so that you have this, your own personal little space to say, God, what do you want me to change? God, what in me needs to look different? What in my life needs to exit my life because it's hurting me? It's against your word. What in your word am I not doing? And I'm neglecting 
things that I'm supposed to do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. God spoke to your heart this morning. Altar's open if you want to use it here. Or you can just pray in your, in your chair. But my hope is that every single person from the back to the front, the balcony, maybe watching on live stream, will take a moment and say, God, am I pursuing you like you want me to pursue you? Am I holding true to the things that I already know? God, what are some things that I could get better at? It's not a time of guilt and like shame because we're not living up. God knows what you're doing. He's not surprised. But we do have to admit to ourselves, face our, our problems, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then we say, God, help me to do better. God, I need your help because I can't do this. I, can't, I didn't save myself. And I can't make myself better. But I can surrender to you. So what do you need to surrender to God this morning? Take some time to be in place and ask God those questions.